0: This is Zips Unlimited, a show about the University of Akron, its programs, its people, and its community. Zips Unlimited is produced by WZIP-FM. Hello and welcome to Zips Unlimited. My name is Chris Kepler. I'm the General Manager at WZIP. Dr. Laura Rakatenitz is here. She is a... Um, instructor of biology. That was your, that's, that's your PhD, right?
1: Yes, is, I have a PhD in integrated biosciences from here at the University of Akron.
0: Very nice. And more specifically, uh, Laura is the field station director at the Martin Center for Field Studies and Environmental Education. And that's really why we met a few months ago. You were in here for something very brief um, as part of a special alumni council through Bookville College of Arts and Sciences. And I wanted to have Laura back to talk more about the uh the field station because i i really like i would heard of it but i don't really know much about it and i want to make sure other people do especially since i've been reading just a little bit more a lot of really cool things happening there we're going to hear about at least some of them i guess you know first of all what is <laughs> what is the martin center for environmental education uh, field studies and environmental education
1: well it's a great question we have um three properties actually uh, associated with the field station but the martin center is located in bath nature preserve And we're the university's outdoor living laboratory. So this is a place where biology professors and professors from other departments can bring their students to be immersed in nature and to learn about the environment right outside their door. So we're just a short drive from campus, um, which makes it really accessible to our urban research university, which is fantastic. We also do tons of regional K through 12 outreach. And then we do community programming. So we'll do night hikes and special events, open houses where we just get to teach the general public about the environment and why it's so important for us to protect it.
0: Well, really a, a true example of, of what we believe the University of Akron is doing in terms of you know not only educating you know college students and preparing them for careers and so forth, but also having a mind toward the community, having a mind toward, you know, the greater more macro level picture of, of whatever the, you know, the subject happens to be in this case, it has to do with environmental, you know, issues and and animals and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, it's really great. We, we are uh, molding, we hope, future scientists that will want to come to the University of Akron someday to study biology and chemistry and all of the other natural sciences and physical sciences. What
0: attracted you to, to what you're doing?
1: Oh, I am a total nature nut. I love being outside. So I have a, um, you know, a biology undergraduate degree, a biology master's, and then I came back here to the University of Akron for my PhD because I was really interested in the, the crossover, the interdisciplinary aspect of that PhD program in integrated biosciences. Um, but I just really just love being outside in nature. I, it's healing. It's, it's great for my soul. It inspires me. It, it makes me have, you know, a huge sense of curiosity about what's going on around me, and it makes me a forever learner.
0: Okay. You know, is the uh, the Martin Center open? Like, can the general public do anything there? Can you walk around? Are there, like, trails or stuff like that? Yeah,
1: Bath Nature Preserve is a wonderful community resource. So it's 409 acres and has lots of trails going through the park. There's an observatory that's run by Summit County Astronomy Club at the front of the park. There's a community garden for Bath residents. Um, There is a solar system trail that goes through the park. And then the field station is open when we have special events. So we have an open house coming up on October 8th, Saturday, October 8th, called Fall Into Nature from about 11 to three. And we'll have lots of different vendors and a food truck and educational activities for kids of all ages, you know, K through gray. And so we'd love if people know, wanted to stop great. out. I've not
0: heard that before. Wow.
1: <laughs> yeah, we try to get people of all ages inspired and loving nature. You know, sometimes people don't really know what to do when they're outside in nature. It's like we are kind of programmed to want to do a job or, or have a task when we're out in nature. And sometimes just coming out and learning about what's around you gives us that chance to feel more comfortable and feel like we can go explore on our own and kind of develop our own sense of curiosity about things around us.
0: You also have a lot of passion for protecting the environment and that's gonna be evident with um, a uh, presentation you're doing on Tuesday, I think, has to do with plastic and and, and the Great Lakes pollution.
1: Yeah, uh, that is a side project of mine. I'm on the board of Surfrider Foundation Northern Ohio. So it's a coastal protection nonprofit. And I'm giving a chat at the Black River Audubon Society out in Lorain County about plastic pollution and just how impactful it is not only for human health, but for wildlife health as well. You know, we we have a lot of shared interests in the environmental field. So plastic pollution affects birds, and uh, we're trying to make sure that we get the word out about how we can reduce our own plastic consumption um, to help protect, you know, our our wonderful resource that we have here in northeastern Ohio, which is Lake Erie. If you had
0: to, I guess, briefly describe the I don't know, the level of severity of of plastic pollution in the Great Lakes? I mean, how how would you do that? Is it?
1: Oh, it's severe. Yeah, I I mean, really, it's a source problem. You know, we have kind of plastic embedded into every aspect of our lives. It's, you know, wrapping our vegetables. It's uh, in plastic straws that we get from, you know, fast food. It's in takeout containers from restaurants. And we We are dealing with plastic every day. Plastic is an amazing invention. I mean it's really transformed parts of, of society to be really beneficial like in in the medical field and biomedical field. Uh, but you know for everyday use, uh, if we can all take a step back and reduce plastics and kind of reduce demand from people that are producing plastic, we could have a potential to reduce some of the pollution but it's pretty severe. I, we did a beach cleanup out in Lorraine a few weeks ago, and we pulled out, I think, 90 pounds of garbage in in an hour just with a dozen people. Mm. And that was pretty minuscule little bits and pieces of plastic that just continues to break down into smaller and smaller pieces over time. It never goes away.
0: Is Is this largely linked to people taking those plastic straws or those grocery bags and just tossing them or or something like that or is are, are there other a lot of other things? i mean there's
1: lots of other things so we'll find nurdles on the beach which are the raw plastic material so those things are falling off of barges coming through the great lakes and into the shipping channels uh, we'll find things like cigarette butts and cigar tips that people definitely do just kind of litter because it seems like it's a small thing and it'll just decompose and then stuff like um plastic bags straws takeout containers those sometimes are blown from the wind if they're not properly disposed of in in dumpsters or garbage cans. Those will get out back out into the environment without people even meaning them to be back out there. Um, and then our combined sewer overflows up in Cleveland. You know they grab trash off of the streets and put them into storm sewers, and those storm sewers dump into the lake during heavy storm events. So it's kind of a, you know, it's a compounded issue mm-hmm. that that we all need to be responsible for, but also need to hold kind of our plastic producers responsible for by getting Mm -hmm. in touch with legislators and, you know, talking to people who can really think about making change at a systemic level.
0: I wonder if you know of a couple things you could tell our listeners that that they could just do, you know, right now that would that would help. I mean, you know, you mentioned plastic straws. I mean, what's you know, what is the alternative other than just not using a straw?
1: Right. Well, not using a straw is one great alternative, (laughs) but certain folks do need to use straws for, you know, medical reasons or things like that. So if you can use a silicone straw or a stainless steel straw, bamboo straws even, uh, take it home, wash it, carry it in your your book bag or your purse while you're going out to restaurants, that would be great. Uh, There's also paper straws that restaurants can swap out what they're giving out to use Mm -hmm. so that, if it does end up in the environment, at least paper will break down over time and not lead to these microplastics that are causing such a big um, problem in in some of our waterways.
0: I feel like there's a big push in the grocery stores to use, you know, like to bring your own bags that you can just,
1: yep, you know, like re- cloth
0: bags or whatever. Yeah, but,
1: cloth bags, um, you know, bring your own takeout containers to restaurants if you're going out to dinner and you love to have oh, leftovers, like just bring your own takeout containers so that you don't have to use... And rely on you know what might be styrofoam or other types of plastics yeah. that are coming from the from the restaurant that you favor, um, you know just simple things like buying stuff in bulk, uh, buying food that's not wrapped in plastic. Vegetables we have we're starting a new trend in this country where vegetables even at the grocery store are wrapped in plastic. If you grow your own pepper, you don't have to buy one that's wrapped in plastic at, at the grocery store.
0: Okay. Um, Reminder to listeners, this is Zips Unlimited. My name is Chris Kepler. I'm the general manager at WZIP. Dr. Laura Rockettenitz is here. Uh, she is the field station director out of the Martin Center in Bath Township. Um, I was reading not too long ago about what we call here an unclass, and which is a kind of another topic, but, but the unclass that you were involved with, it sounds like the ivory billed woodpecker was the real star <laughs> of the class from what I was reading.
1: She was. She was the star of the show. So we had an antique ornithological taxidermy collection that had been donated to the University of Akron back in the early 1900s. And we did an unclass to kind of investigate the history of this collection. We had a great partner in a community, um, Akronite named Jay Musson. He contacted archives at University of Akron because it was his ancestor that donated the collection to the university. And it started us down this um, rabbit hole of, of kind of a natural history mystery, we called it. So we got the students involved. We cleaned and um, cataloged some of these birds. We got them digitized so that they're available to see on an online database now. And then we just closed actually the the public exhibition of those birds. We had them on display at the Downtown Public Library and also at the Cummings Center for Psychology um, in their on their third floor exhibit space. Mm -hmm. And it was just a great opportunity to kind of share the great scientific resources that we have here at the university, you know, dating back over 100 years. It was such a wonderful project.
0: Were these uh, animals, are they still in existence or rare, or are they relatively common?
1: The ivory-billed woodpecker or the rest of the birds?
0: I I guess both.
1: Okay, so the ivory-billed woodpecker is a big, uh, it's under um, consideration to be listed as extinct by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, and there's a push by um, activists and biologists who are studying that particular bird in kind of the deep swamps of Louisiana to not have it declared extinct. Uh, and the reason for that is because um, once things are declared extinct, they don't tend to get money, federal money, put towards them anymore. So mm-hmm. they're looking to see if they can find active populations of the ivory-billed woodpecker in kind of some of these very hard-to-reach, uh, deep swamp areas. Uh, but yeah, it's it's dicey. Even if they aren't extinct, their populations are very low and imperiled due to habitat loss and destruction. Um, some of the other birds in the collection are pretty common. Uh, this, the collector, Thomas Rhodes, and his wife, Sarah, were collecting here in downtown Akron at the time when it wasn't uh, a city, really. It was still farmland. So there's red-winged blackbirds and eastern bluebirds and meadowlarks and things that we still see here in Akron or the surrounding areas. And then there's tropical birds. So we have bir- like a scarlet ibis was in the collection and on display and I think actually that bird will be on display at the Myers Center, uh, the Myers Art School, for the next couple of weeks um, through the, the Synapse exhibition with Matt Collaget. And his students really contributed to that exhibition at the Cummings Center at the end of the UNCLASS as well. So it was this nice mix of art and science. It was just, uh, it was just such a wonderful experience to be mm-hmm. a part of.
0: I don't, I don't know if you know this offhand, some of the more common birds that we still see today you know, these from this collection were, you know, what, 100 years old or more? Is there any sign of like, I don't know, maybe physical differences among what we might see today versus those? Have there been some kind of evolution among the species?
1: Well, that's a great question. And that's why scientific collections are so important. So scientific collections give us that kind of long term snapshot of what species look like. So museums all around the world collect specimens exactly for the reason that you're talking about, not just now for DNA, but also for those kind of taxonomic, um, you know, classifications of species to be able to look at them to see if things are changing over time. I know that there's some studies that have come out recently that say certain color birds are changing based on their diet that they're eating. So as more and more birds are eating invasive honeysuckle berries, the red pigments in their feathers are changing based Hmm. on that food source, based on, you know, as opposed to the native food that they would have been eating prior to the invasion of that plant.
0: I see. I, you mentioned art a couple of times. I think you told me off, Mike, that there's some some new art that we can see out at the Martin Center.
1: Yes, we're really trying to develop our campus out at the Martin Center so that uh, people you know, have something to do when they come to visit, something to look at and kind of be inspired by. So we have several new kind of art installations out at the Martin Center that are open to the public all the time so we have a chimney swift tower that was designed by um, a, a pair of artists one from here from Akron Marcus Vogel and his partner who is at Kent State they designed a chimney swift tower for us it was funded by the Greater Akron Audubon Society we have some bird panels that bird portraits I like to call them that were painted by the high school students at the stem high school just on campus here uh, hanging up by our bird feeder area, and that was partially funded by Bath Community Fund. And then one of our most exciting newest projects is a full-size model of an eagle's nest built on the ground. Oh, wow. Uh, so that by a, art, a local artist named Kate Sopko, and that um, is going to be a great way to get kids excited about how big and intricate and coolly designed that eagle's nests are. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll be able to you know sit in them for story time, and then we have a little... Kind of engineering an eagle's nest project that the students get to do on field trips how like, many kids 12. can sit in it oh it's big it's eight feet across um so we probably could and fit that's it. a
0: typical size of a yeah
1: yeah eagle's nest can be six to eight feet across and it's about six feet tall i mean they can weigh two tons so these huge structures really i had no idea yeah this one doesn't weigh. i guess two... i need to come out and You'd see this be... <laughs> this one doesn't weigh two tons but we do have a real eagle's nest so actual eagle's nest on on the property too um, that wasn't used by eagles this year but is there for people to look at so they we'll take the students out there to see the real eagles nest they'll get to maybe hang out in a model eagles nest fort uh, for a little bit during their field trips and then we'll have them them do kind of an engineering biomimicry activity with building their own little eagles nest in these model trees
0: okay that 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 reminds me of something but i want to ask too about um, when you mentioned there's a an existing actual eagles nest out and in the preserve do can it be used more than once oh yeah do they build it kind of for mm-hmm. life or
1: well these eagles this pair of eagles that's near the bath nature preserve they have two nests right near each other and so they kind of alternate back and forth they haven't used the nest that's actually on the property for two years and i think you know it's hard to say why but a tree nearby fell and that may just have decided you know made them change their mind about the safety of that location so they have been nesting in their alternate site for the last couple of years. But in 2019 or 2020, we definitely had eaglets in that nest. And they, we saw her the following year come back and clean it all out. So she was tossing bones and fish scales and uh, feathers and other debris out, out of the nest, a little bit of housekeeping, and then they'll continue to build on those existing structure, structures from year to year. I think there's some records of certain nests being used for upwards of 30 years.
0: Hmm. You're making biology and science sounds so fun it is but you know there are people who don't think that i mean they're intimidated by it i was one of them um you know thinking like high school biology class was was hard and stuff like that what would your advice be to people who you know maybe are interested in some of the things you're interested in but they're thinking oh i don't i don't think i could handle studying that in college i'd never make it
1: sure i mean it is hard i mean that that there's no doubt about it you definitely have to kind of dig in, and, and I certainly, as an undergraduate, didn't have the easiest time with you know, calculus and physics and organic chemistry. Those things were challenging for me too. Mm-hmm. I think the, the thing about biology is if you're interested in, in nature and the environment and natural history, is to really kind of dig in on those adaptations of plants and animals, the things that help them survive best in their own habitat. Those are so interesting to, to look at to, and see how plants and animals are surviving gives us clues about how we could do things better. And that's that whole field of biomimicry, kind of innovation inspired by nature. And to me, that, it makes me get goosebumps. I get so excited about what's going on out there. You know, we can continue to learn from things that we often think that we're, you know, smarter or faster or better than. We can learn from them because we are all part of nature, you know, and that's kind of the nice thing about studying these things is that you can, be more integrated into our natural planet.
0: And we can study all those things right here.
1: Yes, yes, the University of Akron is a great place to study those things. We're one of the very few urban universities that has a field station kind of directly linked to their campus. It's not far away. We can get there for a class during this, you know, the week and back on campus you know later that afternoon. And it's a real gem of the university and I'm so proud to be the director there.
0: Zips Unlimited can be heard each Saturday at noon on 88.1 WZIP-FM.